is the truth, the absolute truth, and thank God we can always go to it and uh, find out what God said and change circumstances and change facts and change things that uh, uh, are coming against us and just take the truth and make it work. Amen? Well, it's a delight to be here with you this morning. Thank you, Pastor. We appreciate so much. Uh, we did have a change in our schedule, and, and uh, I called Mike, and, and he said it would work for, for you guys, for us to be here. So I'm so thankful and delighted to be with you. It's always a thrill and a delight to be with you in this great church. Rare that I'm here when Pastor's here, but you know, uh, that's fun. That's nice. <laughs> Amen. But uh, anyway, God is a good God, and we're excited about what God's doing. We just came back from... Uh, we were two weeks in uh, Peru, and uh, we were in the city of Arequipa and the city of uh, Lima and had pastor's conferences in both cities, great meetings, great pastor's conferences, and, uh, and then meetings with the public as well, and evangelistic miracle services at night, and God did wonderful things and salvations and miracles, and, and uh, that's always fun, always good. We were just home just a few, just two days, I think, at home uh, before we turned right around, went back to Mexico. And uh, my dear friend, you've heard me speak about before, Wayne Myers. Wayne turned 96 years old. And uh, so we went down to his birthday party. And he's still preaching, still going strong, still, uh, st- still, directing, still directing things and running things. And we had 500 and uh, do you remember the number? It's almost 600. It wasn't quite 600. Five, 560 or something uh, at his birthday party, uh, pastors that... Uh, that in Mexico, and well, other nations as well, there was a few of us gringos there and from the States, and, and then there were some people flew in from South America as well, but mostly it was Mexican pastors that he's creased their lives, touched their lives over the 71 years he's been in, in Mexico. And so, uh, in fact, uh, that the Sunday night we were there, when, when he turned 96, he went out and preached a great service at a great church and raised them, raised them money to build a new building. And uh, he and Martha, he and Miss Martha have given away 10 cars this, this year to different ministries and missionaries. They're just uh, tremendous people. They're, they're, that's all I've always said when I grow up, that's who I want to be like is with Wayne Myers. And uh, anyway, so we had great, uh, great meetings there. And, and uh, then straight to Canada. And now we're going to Canada again next week. And our big, uh, next big meeting coming up, we want you to just bathe in prayer with us, is uh, Malta. We'll, be, we'll miss Thanksgiving again this year. Uh, we'll be in the nation of Malta, which the Bible calls the Isle of Melita, where you'll remember where Paul was shipwrecked. And he shook the snake off in the fire after the snake bit him, and he just shook it off in the fire. And then he was in prison there and had a lot of miracles there. And so we'll be there, be our third time there to do pastor's conferences. And it's always really exciting. And it's a big thrill for me because Malta's right out in the Mediterranean, so we get, we get pastors to come down from Africa uh, Libya and, 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 uh, and Egypt and Tunisia usually, uh, and then up from Europe, from, from Greece and from Italy and from Spain and, and around there, and even some from the UK. And so we always have a great pastor's conference there and able to minister the word of faith. Everybody say word of faith. The word of faith to those pastors and minister to them. And Malta's an interesting nation. They, uh, uh, they have a lot of strange things go on there over the years, even supernatural things. And you'll remember in Genesis 6, the Bible talks about the sons of God uh, went into the daughters of men and so on and so forth. And the Bible calls that the Nephilim. And uh, the Nephilim uh, um, are still talked about all the time in Malta, even by the secular people, not by the church, by the, by the normal population. And uh, about two or three times a year, the, the local newscasters on the news, not the Christian news, the normal news at night of the nation, uh, they'll report very, very matter-of-factly. They'll say, well, another woman was raped last night by the Nephilim. And, uh, and you just kind of, first time you hear that, you say, what? What did they say? 
and, uh, and the police go and they check it out. And sure enough, some lady was violated, but yet there was no, uh, in her home, there's no signs of forced entry or anything like that. It was just, just a demon spirit. But yet it's just very common uh, there in the nation of Malta. They also believe that's where the giants came from because they're always digging up uh, remains of, of these huge, huge uh, uh, skeletons. And in fact, uh, three years ago, they dug up a, a femur, a thigh bone that was eight feet long. So if you, you got an eight foot thigh bone, you're a pretty big boy. And uh, so they always believe that's where the giants originated and came from. And so it's always a fun nation to be in, always an interesting nation to be in. And, and it's always fun to preach the gospel there and to, uh, uh, to, to train those pastors in word of faith. You might, as you might imagine, it's highly fought uh, in that nation, the pastors that, that, uh, that, that are there are pretty much Orthodox and uh, Greek Orthodox and Roman Orthodox as well. And uh, they just uh, not real favorable towards the word of faith, but it sure is fun to go there and preach it. Amen. And then pray with us for next spring. I, I will be in Samoa, be in four nations in the South Pacific, be in Samoa and Fiji and Vanuatu and New Zealand. We're going to some islands where there's still cannibals. And uh, we're going to uh, train and teach uh, uh, the Rama school there on, on Samoa and then over in the other, uh, some other islands as well and minister the word of God there. And then we've got a really uh, meeting that <clears throat> I'd love for you to bathe in prayer and believe God for that meeting and for those people as well as for us. Right now I'm not naming the name of the, of the country nor the dates because I don't need the bad guys to know when we're going to be there. And, uh, and, but it is a Middle Eastern Muslim nation where they cut your head off for saying Jesus is Lord. And so we're going in, uh, this next year and we'll, we'll let pastor know. And, uh, but, um, just, just really pray with us. They've been known to come in with suicide vests there at the meetings and, and been known to attack and do all kinds of stuff. And we just, I just believe in bathing meetings in prayer before I ever go. My, my philosophy has always been win it, win it here and then walk it through there. You know, bathe it in prayer here and get the thing won. And then whenever I get there, then just walk through what I've, what I've prayed for. And so you believe God with us with that. Uh, they're telling me, and I'm really, and I'm believing what they're telling me, we're expecting 50,000 people uh, to be in that, in that meeting, in that crusade. But we're going to have to get in there and hit it fast and get out and not let them know too much advance notice, you know, <laughs> before we get there. So uh, we do covet your prayers in that for their safety and uh, our safety as well, but I, I don't ever have a problem with that. But uh, for the safety of the people and the blessing of the people, and then just an outpouring of the Holy Ghost to get people saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and, and uh, delivered and set free. Amen? Amen? So those are some good things coming up and things that we're excited about and things that we've just got through doing and, and other things we're going to do. So uh, we, we appreciate your uh, this church is a partner church of ours. You all support us every month. I, ta- I take your, your love and your, and, your, and your prayers and your money uh, literally around the world. I, ho- I hope I take your love and prayers. I know I take your money. I see the checks. But, uh, but I, I, I trust I take your, your love and your prayers with us because uh, we do covet the prayers of the saints and of our partners and of our friends. And we appreciate your, your partnering with us and your help. I've always said I'm kind of, a, I'm kind of an investment broker in the kingdom. You know, I just find out where, where the biggest return on your money would bring you the biggest return and go invest it there. So we're going to invest it in Malta and invest it in this Muslim nation, invest it in the islands of the sea and invest it in a few other places and uh, bring you a big return uh, both in the natural and in the spiritual. Amen. Renee, come on up and share something with the people. Say something with the folks. Pastor gave me a microphone for you already. So, uh, uh-oh, she's bringing her Bible. Now you heard him say it's good when the women go away. So, you, you... <laughs> No, you're safe. 
I uh, am just so honored to serve the Lord. How about you? You know, Amen. this is such a sacred place uh, that God has allowed. Um, as we drove up today, I just was marvel at the building and the location and the geography and the, the place that God had this church ready for you when you got ready to come through the door. And that's amazing, isn't it? Um, I have, where my children go to church, I have been able to go to, to a pastor or two and tell them, thank you for having the doors open when my children got ready to move here to this city and, and be ready. Isn't that wonderful? And I just, uh, I, I sat here and cried through most of the first part of the service um, out of sheer just holiness of what we do. You know, we handle such holy things, the most sacred things on the planet. And uh, it, 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 the value that we place on what God is doing in the earth, where we are right now, you know, where you are right now here in this part of California, what God is trying to do in the earth is amazing. And, and Mike, I just had such compassion for you and Beth and what you're doing. Um, you know, the Bible says, who can, you know, who can find a virtuous woman and who can find a, a faithful man? <laughs> And it just is amazing to me, the faithful pastors and ministers. God said in Jeremiah chapter 3 that he would give you pastors after his own heart. Just think about that. I have a pastor God has given me that is after his own heart. That is such a gift to you. And I just honor the work of God here this morning. As I was listening to Terry share about where we're going to be and all the things we're believing God for and what God's doing in the earth, um, you know, and we're just one ministry. This is just one church. And think about what God's trying to do all over the earth to bring souls into the kingdom of God. We're a peculiar people. We're a holy nation. <laughs> we are the people of God. <laughs> and it, it just, there's such value in that God gave the church to the earth. And so I just want to encourage you all today to be the, to be the light, be courageous, be outspoken, be full of the Holy Ghost. When you get there, God gets there. When you show up, miracles have the potential to show up. This world is safe when you're there. People's lives are safe because you're in the office. You live on that street. Your children go to that school because your prayers, if an unbelieving spouse can be sanctified by the prayers of a believing spouse, then how much more can God do in the earth through the church that we sanctify actual geographical places and relationships because of our presence. So don't live small and those little stupid voices in your head about what you don't have and not done and what, where you are. Don't listen to those stupid recordings that go on in your brain. Listen to the voice of the Holy Ghost that lives on the inside of you, that tells you you are created in the image of God, that you can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens you, and you are more than a conqueror in every situation of life. So don't live small. Don't dwarf, let the enemy dwarf you by your own silly thoughts. Get hold of what the Word of God says and renew your mind to those things. All those things that are back there on that, on that table, Terry always says that none of that back there is theory. 
It's all proven ministry. Uh, this is his 50th year in ministry. Isn't that amazing? And I've known him 44 of those years. <laughs> and so um, I've known he and Jackie from the very beginning of their ministry and life and what they were doing there in Mexico and what God has done now over the last uh, rest of those years. And it's just amazing uh, to see that God has, has empowered them uh, at his 50th um, anniversary party that they gave him there in, in Texas. Um, I, I looked, I was just thinking about all those years, all the 50 years that God has provided airfare and hotels and these pastor's conferences and places that he's gone through the years through Romania. I, I firsthand know those things can cost like $40,000 by the time you pay for everybody and all the, all the food and all the hotels for all those pastors to come. And then all, everybody that came and helped and worked <laughs> and you take care of all of that that God has done that for 50 years by earth time and then paid their rent and paid their gas and took care of the family and raised four children and went around the world and Terry's still alive to tell about it. Isn't that wonderful? You know, so when you purchase anything back there, it's not something that we think will sell CDs. It's not something that we think is going to be uh, something that will catch your eye and just market well. No, that's not what's back there. It'll change your life. It'll help you live every day 24-7 in a successful, prosperous, healthy body to do something for the kingdom of God. And this is our finest hour, so don't, don't uh, shrink back from what God's trying to do in the earth. This is the time for the church. Amen? And also, every week we have a podcast. Terry and I do a podcast every week. And uh, we just get in there and, and uh, get a cup of coffee and just sit there and, and start. We have real nice equipment at home when we're there to use it. But uh, usually we're doing it on a cell phone somewhere in some place in the world. And we just preach each other happy and believe God that it's going to be a blessing to everybody that listens and is able to receive from the Word of God. So we're there talking to you about how important you are, how empowered you are by the Word of God how faithful and how confident God is that you can do the job in this generation to influence the world and take souls into the kingdom of God and be able to stand and do a work that will in every way complement the fact that you are the people of God. We're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so we need to sit up real tall, pay attention, wake up every morning ready to attack rather than defend who we are. And attack hell and stand strong and don't let anything tell you you're not able to do what God, this book says you can do. Terry's going to tell you some good stuff today and he's going to challenge you to walk by faith and live by the word of God. So you just need to take notes and listen by the Holy Ghost. And I believe you'll leave here today better than when you came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I, Praise I, the I Lord. Just didn't even open my How about that? 
<clears throat> Thank you, ma'am. Praise the Lord. Stand up with me, if you would, please. And, and uh, she mentioned the products back there that are available to you. And she mentioned the podcast. That's at terrymines.com. And we're, we're excited about the podcast simply because it's free for nothing. It doesn't cost you anything. And I, I've said so many times, I've sat and looked at her as we're doing a podcast, and I've thought, I remember when she and her husband, Dean, were just struggling back in the late 60s trying to make this Word of Faith thing work. And when Jackie and I were just struggling trying to make this thing work and figure out the Word of Faith, and uh, we'd go to Brother Hagen's meetings, finally get enough money to go to Brother Hagen's meeting or Brother Copeland or Brother Osteen or somebody, and uh, then we'd go back to the book and tape tables and sales and stuff, and we'd just drool and salivate over all that all those tapes and CDs, well, it wasn't CDs, it was tapes and books, and uh, just wish we could get them, but we didn't have the money for it. And yet now you can just go to your, your phone or your tablet or whatever and just punch in terrymines.com or a lot of the great ministries and, and just get it free for nothing, just free for nothing. And I think, dear God, if we'd have had all this stuff available to us, Mike, back then when it was free for nothing, uh, we'd, have, we'd have just, man, we'd have taken the world, you know, amen. And, uh, and that's what we're expecting for you. You know, some of you, some of you younger Christians, and I say younger, I'm 68, so younger than me I'm talking about. Uh, you know, we always want you to do better than we did. That's right. Just like your kids. You want your kids to do better than you did. You know, we, we dug this stuff out, you know, Mike and Beth and, and, uh, and us and, and, you know, the Copelands and Savells and the Caps and, the, uh, you know, and all these people just, just, that just built the word of faith over all those years back in the 60s and 70s created the the word of faith movement uh, just you know we just want you guys to we we were so hungry and dug it out and that's what we expect you to do just get so hungry and dig it out and go so far further than we ever went and uh, just take the world for jesus amen amen father thank you for your word this morning thank you for this great church with a great pastor with a great congregation with a great god with a great vision to get the gospel to the world a vision to heal the sick and raise the dead, to cast out devils, Father, to open blind eyes and deaf ears, Father, to make the, to make the gospel known to the nations, to make him known, to make you known among the nations. Father, this is a great lighthouse. You've called it to be a great lighthouse, to shine the glorious light of the gospel to the nations, to shine the light where the light's dim and name the name of Jesus where it has not been named. Use this great church and this great people and this great pastor to preach the gospel, to stand strong, to be the light in darkness. And I thank you for it. And Father, I ask you, as I've already talked to you about, that I'll not speak of myself and are in the flesh, but the Holy Spirit, the greater one that indwells me, rise up big within me now and think through my thoughts, speak through my lips and minister words, Lord, words that will get on the inside of us and create faith for faith comes by hearing the word as we hear the word this morning, as we hear the word tonight, faith will rise in this place. Faith will rise in this place. Faith will rise in this place. And as faith rises, you're able to touch us at the point of our faith and do miracles. And we thank you for it and give you the glory, honor, praise, majesty, and dominion in the majestic and holy name of King Jesus, a name that heaven's never failed to honor, nor hell's never failed to tremble at, the name of Jesus Christ, the righteous. And everybody said, amen. 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 Well, you may be seated. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I want to mention to you this morning a little bit on a, uh, maybe it's a more of a little pastoral type 
sermon or, or message. I usually say I don't have sermons. I just have lifestyles. But I do want to talk to you about a powerful topic today that will help you in the church. I'm a, I'm a strong believer in the local church. Everybody say local church. You know, I'm a strong, strong believer in the local church. I'm a strong, strong believer in the office of pastor. And way, way back years ago, Renee said, I just, this is my 50th year. We've been celebrating all year my 50th year in ministry, which I didn't think was such a big deal. Everybody says it's a real milestone. And I, and I thought, well, I guess it'd be a milestone if I was going to quit at 50. <laughs> if I was going to hang my head up and say, okay, there, I did that. Yeah, I guess it would be a milestone, but I never thought it being much of a milestone because I'm not quitting. Amen. I have no intentions of not doing, not continuing what we've been doing all these years. So we're excited about it, but, uh, but, but by the same token, we're just going on and onward and upward. Amen. But, but all these, this, this year celebrating, uh, the, the, the 50th year, you know, we've been talking about miracles and things that have happened in the past and things where we've been and done. And, and like Renee said, people gave me a great party and, and, uh, embarrassed me and, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, we're, we're excited about the Word of God. We're excited about what the Word has done and what the Word will do, that the Word has never changed. It never does change. We can take the Word and find out what God said and just, just go do miracles. Amen? And we're, we're in a situation today where we, the church needs to wake up and stir up and stand up and speak up and be loud, and we need to start producing the miracles that we're capable of and start unleashing the power of heaven that we're capable of because, uh, as you know, as you look around or watch the news, you realize the world's in a mess. Amen. And uh, you need to know that we pray a lot for you guys. We pray a lot for this church. You're a partner church, so we pray for you. But then we also pray for you just because you're in California, and California's weird. And... Uh, <clears throat> And, you know, uh, I've said in several pulpits around the United States and the world, I said, I know, I know some strong churches in California, and I know some churches in Orange County that are going to stand up and take the gospel to that state, and they're not going to sit down and be quiet. You know, and whenever the governor here a while back proposed, a, proposed making, banning the Bible in California uh, because it's, it's a book of hate speech, you know, I said, well, I know a, I know a church that won't stand for that. Hello? You know, there's just things we don't need to stand for. And then there are other things we need to stand for. Brother Osteen used to tell us you need to stand for something or you fall for anything. And so we need to, we need to stand up for some things. And, and, and then other things we need to say, no, we're just not allowing that. We're not going to put up with that. We're not going to deal with that. And we, we are the church. Everybody say the church. We are the church. We're in spiritual authority. We're in dominion. We're the ones that have the power, have the authority, have the dominion. God said that he gave us dominion, gave us power over the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the field, and over all the earth. He expects the church to be the dominating factor. The dominating factor. Amen. And then he puts us in the church. Thank God for the church. Renee and I believe that the church is the best idea God ever had after salvation. After sending Jesus for salvation, the church was the next best idea God had because it's in the church where things get accomplished. Amen? Amen. It's in the church where you have corporate prayer, corporate faith, corporate praise, corporate worship, where you do those things in agreement. The Bible's big on agreement. He said a threefold cord is hardly broken, right? He gave us all those scriptures in the Bible on agreement. Where two agree is such in one thing, it'll be so. 
And so God's big on agreement and big on us being together and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So when we get in church, we're going to accomplish more in church than we're going to accomplish by ourselves. Amen. Turn in your Bible with me to uh, Numbers, the 11th chapter. And we'll start at verse 11. Moses is leading 2 million plus Jews. That's not an easy job. And he's leading them all by himself. He has zero help, no help, no help, no help, zero help, no help. He's doing it all by himself. And he's come to the point that he's done with that. In fact, he just says here in this scripture I'm about to read you, he says, Lord, if it's going to be this way, just kill me. He said, if you love me, kill me. Because he said, I'm having, to be the, 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 I'm having to be the chief cook and bottle washer. He said, I'm having to run the food pantry. I'm having to give these people food. I'm having to run the nursery. They bring the babies to me, and I like a, like a suckling father I have to carry around and, and nurse them. He said, I just can't do it. So just, if it's going to be this way, just kill me. All right? Starting in verse 11, Moses said to the Lord, Wherefore have you afflicted your servant? Wherefore have I not found favor in your sight that you lay us the burden of all this people on me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that you should say carry them in your bosom as a nurse and father bears a suckling child unto the land where you swear to their fathers? Whence should I have flesh to give to all this people? For they weep to me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear this people alone because it is too heavy for me. Say, too heavy for me. And if you're going to deal this way with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand, if I have found favor in your sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. God, if it's going to be this way, just kill me. And if you love me, kill me. And so the Lord said back to Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with you, Moses, And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take of the spirit which is upon you, Moses, and I will put it on them. God didn't say, I'm going to take my spirit and put it on them. He said, Moses, I'm going to take your spirit and put it on those 70 leaders. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you not bear it thyself alone. That was God's answer. That was God's solution. That pastor shouldn't have to be doing this all by himself alone. That he has people that God puts his spirit, not God's spirit, but pastor's spirit on the people. And if they help the pastor and they, he doesn't have to bear it. Everybody say alone. Alone. Church is a corporate idea. It's where we all come together to get the job done. We all come in here, we praise the Lord, we worship the Lord, we get a message from the Lord, and then we go out and do what we've been trained to do. Amen? That's what church is all about. But it's all about an army. It's all about a military. It's all about God's people. It's not about one person doing it all. It's about we're all in this thing together. Amen? Brother John Osteen... Joel's daddy, John Osteen, uh, was a dear friend of mine. I knew him since I was 15 years old, and I spent a lot of time with him. 
spent a time with him as, as, as teenagers, spent a time with him as I grew up, as I went in the ministry, as I went to mission fields, and, uh, and you know, until the day he died. And uh, John was a tremendous man of God, and I've always said he's the pastor's pastor. In fact, any time a pastor ever had any problems, would come to me with some kind of a pastoral problem, I'd send him to Brother Osteen and say, go see Brother John. He's the pastor's pastor. Go, go listen to him. And he helped lots and lots and lots and lots of people. And he, he created and founded Lakewood Church. Of course, you know it's the biggest church in America now. And, and, and when he turned it over to Joel, now Joel's done a good job. I don't take anything away from Joel. Uh, but, but nevertheless, when John turned it over to Joel, he also turned over a bank account with $40 million in it. Now, it's not hard to run a church with $40 million in the bank. Are you all here? People used to tell Brother Osteen, oh, Brother Osteen said, you just, you just an overnight success. He said, yeah, that's true. It's an overnight success, but the night was 40 years long. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he said, because I, you know, I remember when he started that thing, Renee remembers when they started Lakewood Church just in a feed store there on the corner. Perina, they took over a Perina dog chow uh, feed store building and turned it into a church. And, uh, and I started going. Now, I never lived in Houston, so I didn't attend Lakewood, but I went there all the time as I was coming in and out of Mexico and, and as a missionary. And so I used to be in that old feed. They called it the old feed barn. And, uh, and I was there lots and lots of times. And then every time they, they added a building or grew a building, you know, I was uh, in that building and there and had a real good relationship with Brother Osteen. But Brother Osteen had a real understanding about how to run the church and how to get the church to operate. And whenever he was a Baptist pastor uh, in the Baptist church there a few blocks away from where Lakewood started, uh, he got the Holy Ghost. And when he got the Holy Ghost, the Baptist church kicked him out. He said they gave him the left foot of fellowship. And, uh, and so he had two deacons in that church, two, two Baptist deacons in his Baptist church. Uh, one of them's name was Bill Dearman, and one of them's name was Curtis Bell. I knew both of them. And uh, whenever Brother Osteen got the Holy Ghost, when their pastor got the Holy Ghost, they got the Holy Ghost, and they got kicked out. So the three of them got kicked out. And so when Brother Osteen started Lakewood Church, Brother Bell and Brother Dearman uh, were his first deacons, his first elders, and they were founding members of Lakewood Church. And they were both there until the day they died. Brother Osteen outlived both of them, and they were there till, till the day they died. Now, Renee's husband, Dean, uh, who's, who's in heaven now, uh, Dean's stepdad was Bill Dearman. Brother Dearman was Dean's stepdad, so he was Renee's father-in-law for numbers of numbers of years until he he passed away. And then, uh, and, and I remember going to uh, Brother Curtis Bell's funeral, and then I remember Brother Bill Dearman's funeral in the '80s. Uh, Brother Dearman passed away. I believe what, was it '89, Renee? '87. Brother Dearman passed away in 1987. Then I went to Houston. I went to Brother Dearman's funeral. And of course, the house was packed and. Brother Osteen was preaching the funeral, and I remember, I've seen Brother Osteen preach lots of funerals. I mean, he was the master of the pulpit, and he could just do stuff that, you know, he could, he, he could preach a message in 20 minutes. It'd take me two hours to preach. You know, he was just the master of the, of the pulpit. And, uh, but I've seen him preach a lot of funerals, but this funeral was different. He preached Brother Bill's funeral, and, uh, and, and he just broke down while he was preaching the funeral and just cried like a baby, just blubbered and cried. And, and, and he was standing on the platform and Brother Dearman's casket's down here in the front, you know. And he made this statement. I'm sitting right out here on the first or second row, and I'm sitting out here, and, and, and just, just the impact of this statement just, I mean, it impacted me because he said this. He said, he said I, can, can, I, I can mark on the calendar the day that Lakewood Church became a success. He said it was the day that this man, Bill Dearman, and Curtis Bell came to me 
And they said, Pastor, you pastor this thing, and we'll back you. Well, that's a powerful statement. I I can mark the day on the calendar that Lakewood Church became a success. The day that these two men came to me and said, Pastor, you pastor this thing, and we'll back you. And I sat there out here in the congregation, I said, I thought, dear God, I wish people everywhere could hear this. I wish men and women everywhere could hear this because, because can you imagine your pastor preaching your funeral and saying, I can mark the day on the calendar that this church became a success. It was the day that they came to me and said, Pastor, you pastored this thing and we'll back you. He said, this man served me for 32 years. Faithfully for 32 years. Can you imagine? Faithfully for 32 years. Are you all with me? He said, they didn't always agree with me. He said, sometimes I'd say things or do things or make a rule or or do something. They wouldn't agree with it at all. He said, so they'd come to my office. He said, we'd get in my office, we'd shut the door, and we'd fight. But he said, when that door opened, I was the pastor. They were the deacons and the elders, and they backed me. Can you imagine? See, these guys weren't snowflakes and cupcakes. These guys weren't weren't, going to run off every time their feelings got hurt. These were men that said, you're the pastor, and we're going to back you. And, you know, I've taught something since, I'm a teen, since I was a teenager. I've always taught this. See, when I was a teenager, they had this big, goofy doctrine come through the church, really weird. Uh, and they called it sheep shepherd, and they called it discipleship, and they called it some other names. Now, now what the devil always does is takes a good Bible term, a good Bible term like shepherd, like sheep, like submission. Are you here? Good, good, good Bible words, and then they pervert them. And that's what they did with this teaching. And so this teaching said that women uh, have to do anything their husband says. Women are in subjection and submission to their husband, which the Bible says, you know, submit to your husband, but not what they're talking about. And that women have to do anything and everything that their husband tells them to do. And so I was a youth leader. I'd even have these wives, these older women come to me and say, Brother Terry said, you know, the pastor's saying, everybody's saying that I have to do whatever my husband tells me. And he's telling me to go to strip clubs with him and bars with him and, and nightclubs with him. And he's telling me he wants to do drugs with him and do, do this with him, do that with him. What do you think about that? And I always said this since I was a teenager, and I still say it today. You can follow your husband anywhere, but don't follow him to hell. <laughs> and you can follow a man... Unless it's illegal, immoral, or unscriptural. And I've always said that thing about the pastor as well. Follow your pastor, but don't follow him if it's illegal, immoral, or unscriptural. Don't follow your husband if it's illegal, immoral, or unscriptural. Are y'all here? And so these, these, these people would just get to do all kind of ungodly things and, and all kind of control over the people that, that wasn't right, wasn't godly, but see, it became illegal, it became immoral, it became unscriptural, and in that situation, then you, then, then you don't follow. But in every other area, you need to just hook up with your pastor, grab his coattail, and say, Pastor, you pastor this thing, and I'll back you. Amen? And, and, the, and the day that Mike Webb ever becomes illegally immoral and unscripted, y'all call me. I don't think that day will ever happen. And we'll talk about it. You understand what I'm saying to you? You follow your pastor as your pastor. 
And if you'll do that, your church will be a great success. If you'll grab his coattail and say, Pastor, you pastor this thing, and I'm going to back you, this church will be the great success that God called it to be and desires it to be and wants it to be. Moses said, I can't do this alone. And so God said, all right, I'll give you leaders that I'll put your spirit, Moses, on them, and you won't have to bear this alone. They'll bear this thing with you. But those leaders aren't doing their own thing. Those leaders don't have their own vision. I told you it's kind of a pastoral message today. You know, in the office of apostle, the apostle will do the other, will do the other four. So every now and then you have, to, you, have to get, you, know, you have to get pastoral about some things. But uh, God wants us to lead the church, guide the church, direct the church, make the church a success, help people, do things. But that's going to be when we all hook up together and decide together we're going to end this thing together. We're going to do this together and pastor's the pastor. Amen. Amen. You know, you never want somebody to come along in the church and say, I'm called to help the pastor. That's a bad situation. Pastor, I'm going to help you pastor this. But, oh, no, you're not. See, this is going to be you hooking up with his vision, with his spirit, with his call, with his direction. God's not going to give you a new direction. You come along and say, hey, pastor, guess what? God told me how to run the church. No, he didn't. And see, all you sheep, everybody say, I'm a sheep. All you sheep need to be wolf-biting sheep. I mean, bite the wolves, run them off. You do not want a wolf in your church. It's okay to have a goat every now and then, but you don't want, you don't want, you don't want goat. You don't want wolves. God can handle goats. The pastor can handle goats. The church can handle goats. But you don't ever, ever, ever want a wolf. And that's your job as a sheep to be a wolf-biting sheep, to run the wolves off, to not tolerate the wolves. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Are y'all here? God established partnership. That day, back over here in Numbers, is when God created ministry of helps and partnership that you're partnering together. They were partnering together with Moses. You're partnering together with your pastor. Amen? Amen. You're a, part, a partner with pastor. Now, I know partner is a cheap word in church today, just like seed is a cheap word in church today because it's a good Bible word, but people have perverted it and overused it, and, and every, every preacher and their dog tells you they need partners, they want you to be their partner, and every preacher and their dog tells you that your money's seed, so you need to plant your seed. But, you know, those are still good Bible words. You really are a partner, and you really do plant seed. Everything in your life really is a seed. And so when you hook up with pastor and partner, then you get the whole reward that he gets comes back on you again. And the same blessing that hits the front row hits the back row. Amen? I've always said, that, I've always said if the word works, it'll work for the widow on the back row the same as it does a preacher on the front row. The word's going to work for everybody. Amen. Y'all still with me? Um, Ecclesiastes 4.12, if one prevailed against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. 
a threefold cord, the, part, the power of partnership, the impact of partnership, the importance of partnership is so valid and so vital. And it says here that a threefold cord is not quickly broken. When you hook up and partner with your pastor and hook up with your church and hook up with God and partner, that cord is not going to be quickly broken. You're going to be a stronger, stronger unit because of it. Matthew 18, uh, starting in verse 19, again, I say unto you, Jesus said, if two of you shall agree on earth and touch anything, they shall ask, it shall be done for them by, by my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Partnership, agreement, togetherness. Deuteronomy 32, 30. How should one chase a thousand? Two put 10,000 to flight, except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up. This says one will put 1,000 to flight and two shall put 10,000 to flight. Now that's heavenly mathematics. That's heavenly. <laughs> Nobody does math like God does. God said, well, one can put 1,000 to flight, but if you add another one with him, they can put 10,000 to flight. Well, now if that's true, what could this group right here put to flight? Well, you could run all the devils out of California. Amen. One can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. That's 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 just the way God operates and the way God thinks. God's math has always been different than the world's math. That's why you should you should always hook up with God when you're doing math. God knows more about math than the world does. God knows more about money than the world does. I, I, I've always Mike, I've always been one of these guys that 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 if if I'm going to find out something that God thought up, then I want to go to God. To get the answer. Now, if the world thought it up, fine, I'll go ask them about it. But if God thought it up, then I don't want the world telling me how to do it. But the the, the church and the world tends to think that, that the world knows more about God in lots of different areas of life, and that's just not true. God knows more about marriage, yet the world says they're the experts on marriage. God knows more about sex. He knows more about uh, romance. He knows more about money. He knows more. He, he just knows. And, you know, whenever I learned to fly, way back when I was 24 or 5 years old, when I learned to fly, I, I went to a flight instructor. And I looked up for a good flight instructor. In fact, I went and found me a guy that flew in Vietnam. <laughs> and I said, I want somebody that, that, that flew when things were going on around them that, that would distract their focus and learn to fly from that guy. You know, when I learned to speak Spanish, I went to a Spanish teacher. But when I want to know about, about God's stuff, I go to God. I don't go to the world. I'm not going to go to Hollywood to ask them who to vote for. I'm not going to go to Hollywood to ask them how to have romance and marriage. They've never figured that out ever. Although they finally won the world over to think their, their way is right. Isn't that right? Now your daughters and your sons go see a, 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 be in a grocery store with you and they look at the checkout line and there's the magazines and, and, and the big deal is all the, all the girls in Hollywood that have baby bumps that aren't married. Well, you know, they used to hide that sort of thing and now it's, now it's the standard that your daughters and sons want to live up to. Hello? Amen, Brother Terry. That's a good word. Just keep preaching. Well, thank you. I knew you'd like that. Moses had partners. David had partners. You remember the story of David in 1 Samuel chapter 30 that he was off to war and, uh, and then he came back home to Ziklag 
And when he got home, uh, the bad guys had raided Ziklag while he was gone, and they had taken all the spoils. They had killed the men. They had taken all the women and children. They had taken all the goods and spoils and stuff and, and left. And so whenever David and the men got back to Ziklag, uh, the men were dead and, and, and the wives and babies were gone and all the spoils were gone, the animals were gone and the bad guys had taken everything. And so uh, the army wanted to kill David, but then, you know, they, he, he got them over that. And he said to the Lord, should I pursue? And the Lord said, yeah, you should pursue and recover everything. And so David told his men, all right, we're going after him. We're going to go get our stuff back. And uh, so some, they had to leave some guys there to watch the stuff so they could travel and you know, go to war. And so they did. They went to war. They caught the bad guys. They killed them all. They got, they got all their stuff back, all their wives and kids back. Plus they took all the bad guys' wives and kids and all the bad guys' stuff and brought it all back to Ziklag. And then they started to divvy it up and say, who's going to get what? And some of the soldiers said, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Those guys that stayed here by the stuff, uh, they don't get as much as we do because we went down to battle. We went down to war and they didn't do anything. And David said, no, and this, you'll find this in verse, uh, uh, in verse tw- uh, uh, 24 through 25, it says, David said, For who will hearken to you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and ordinance for Israel unto this day. David said, No, 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 no. No, the guys that stay home by the stuff are just as important and get the same reward as those that go down to battle. Amen. Amen. You know, my wife, Jackie, used that scripture for years and years and years because she'd say, she'd say, Terry's going off to battle. He's going off around the world uh, to do crusades. And I'm staying home with the kids and the stuff. So that I get the same reward as those that go down to battle. We pray that same way uh, over our partners. Right? And I pray that same way over this church, that you all get the same reward when we go to a crusade and we, we fight the bad guys and we have souls won and miracles done. Then you guys get the same reward as we do because they that go, go down to battle and they that stay home by the stuff get the same reward and they shall part alike. That's a law of God. And you can make demand on that law of God. That's one of those mathematic things that doesn't work uh, in the world, but it sure works in the kingdom. Amen. So David had partners. Then we see that Jesus, so uh, Moses had partners, David had partners, Old Testament. Then Jesus had partners. You remember Jesus? Luke chapter 8 and verse 1, it came to pass when he went throughout every city and every village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, the 12 were with him. Well, we all knew that. We all knew the 12 were with him. They were his partners. They made the meetings happen. They helped him do the meetings. They helped him get the sick people there. They helped him have the miracles. Amen. But it wasn't just the 12. It says, and the 12 were with him and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Then it names three of them, which is a big deal for the Bible to name women, but it named three of them right here. It said, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who's Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, many other what? Many other women, many others who ministered to him of their substance or of their money. So these women, and there was how many of them? We don't know. It says many others. There's 12 disciples, and there was many women that traveled with Jesus. And one of them, it says here, was the wife of Chusa, who was Herod, King Herod's steward. So the guy that's keeping King Herod's money, his wife's running around with Jesus and ministering to Jesus of her substance. Amen? And so it names, it names three of these ladies. So he had partners. 
that would make those meetings happen, would get the sick people, would get the, get the miracle people. You know, you know, women are a real connect-the-dot people. So when he was going to go into some town, all these women all of a sudden networked around and invited all these different people, and they knew people here, knew people there, and they knew this person, that person, and they'd put all the dots together, and then when Jesus got there, they'd have the sick people there, and he could do miracles. He couldn't have done those miracles if those sick people weren't there. Isn't that right? So he had all these partners that helped him do that. Then in Matthew chapter 12, uh, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 14, verse 35 and 36, it says, When the men of that place had knowledge of Jesus, they sent out into that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. I think that's one of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible. It says, When the men of that place, when the men of this place, when the women of this place have knowledge of Jesus, they sent out into all AWL, all that region roundabout. Now, how could they have even done that? They didn't have telephones. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have, you know, any of that, any kind of, they didn't have radio announcements, television. They didn't have any of that. They just had to go door to door and knock on doors and say, is anybody sick here? You're coming with me. Is anybody sick here? You're coming with me. Anybody sick here? You're coming with me. Because it doesn't say they brought a few sick people. It says they brought them all. Listen to that. When the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him a double L all that were diseased and besought him, begged him, pleaded with him that they might only touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Jesus had these powerful, powerful, powerful miracles, but, but he didn't do it by himself. It was because of those men of that place that had knowledge of him put some work and some effort and some money into getting people there. Amen. Can you imagine that if next Sunday, next Sunday, that you brought one person and you brought one person and you brought one person, and you brought one person, and you brought one person, and you brought one. If everybody here next Sunday brought one person, we'd have twice as many people here. Isn't that simple? If we send out in all that region roundabout and bring somebody, then pretty soon the house is full, then the house is overflowing. Amen, Brother Terry, that's a really good word. Well, thank you, I know I, I, I Praise the Lord. It's just that simple. You don't need these big, monstrous, expensive programs to build the church. We just need everybody to get involved. We just need everybody to bring somebody. I'm sure everybody here knows somebody that you could bring next Sunday. Even if you have to buy them lunch. Say, hey, come go to church with me next Sunday, and then I'm going to buy you lunch. So it costs you lunch. But just think, you'd, you'd, double, the, you'd double the house. Well, moving right along. Paul had partners. Jesus had partners. Philippians 1.5, Paul said, I thank God for your fellowship to the Philippian churches. I thank God for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He didn't mean the first day of his ministry because he'd been in the ministry a long time before they got started. He meant the first day that that church got started, they partnered with him. In fact, he started that church out of a jailbreak, didn't he? 
And they were his partners from, 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 that, from that time on. And then he says in chapter 4, Now you Philippians know also the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia. No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent, you Philippians sent once and again to my necessity. So it wasn't the Thessalonians that paid for the great Thessalonican crusade. It was the Philippians that paid for the great Thessalonican crusade. Paul said, you sent once and again to my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit may abound to your account. But I have all and abound and I'm full, having received Ephroditus, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And then he said, now because of that, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So we see partnership with Moses. We see it with David, both Old Testament. Then we see it with Jesus. We see it with Paul in the New Testament. Partnership has always been something that God has been into. A threefold cord is hardly broken. Where two agree on earth is touching one thing, it'll be so. One can put a thousand to flight. Two can put a thousand, ten thousand to flight. Partnership's a big deal with God. Amen. So your partnership, your partnership with us, you guys have partnered with us for numbers of years, and, and we've gone around the world and done all kind of tremendous things. You partner with other people. They've, they've done all kind of things, and you, you get the reward from all of that. But the biggest partnership you can have is partnership here in the church with pastor to cause the church to be viable and valid and grow and strong and healthy. Amen. So you're a, you're a vital part and a viable part of the church. You're not just sitting on a pew. You're, you're here as a partner with pastor, as a partner with God, as a viable part of the church to say, Pastor, you pastor this thing and I'll back you. Isn't that cool? If some wolf comes in trying to do something, you, the rest of your sheep just, nope, 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 nope. We, we, don't, we don't tolerate wolves around here. Oh, Brother Terry, we just need to love everybody. No, you don't. Kick the wolves out. You don't need wolves among the sheep. That just has never worked, never will work. Amen. You know, Brother Hagan made this statement many years ago. He said, uh, if you partner with somebody or follow after a minister and uh, that minister ends up going into error, and you keep following after them and reading their books and listening to their tapes and keep on following them, so you'll just go right in that same era. That's how strong partnership is. That's how powerful partnership is. You can get so hung up on a man that you end up, you end up leaving God. And that's happened all through history. You see, we've got to be smart enough not to do that. You know, when I was a little boy, Oh, I remember I got saved when I was six years old. And when, we, when I got saved at six, we were in the process, or just, just shortly thereafter, we started the process of building a new building in our church. And, you know, I, I went out there and, and helped build that church. Now, at age six, I, I obviously wasn't much help. But those guys, I'm so thankful that those guys building the church uh, let me help even though I probably wasn't much help, even though I probably got in the way. Thinking back on it, back then I thought I was a lot of help. Thinking back on it now, I'm thinking, a six-year-old isn't much help. But, you know, they'd give me a brick and say, take it to, to that guy over there. Take this brick over there. Take this brick over there. Take this brick over there. And I'm just going back and forth all day long taking bricks to people. And uh, in my mind, I built that church. 
And it, and it linked me into that church because I put my blood, sweat, and tears, you know, in the building of that thing. And so I, I went, even after we sold that church and moved across town to another church, I'd still drive by that church and say, I, I built that church. In fact, every time I'm back in my hometown, I will drive by that church again. Oh, yeah, it looks real little now. <laughs> and uh, I said, oh, oh, no, I helped build that church. I helped build it. You know, my, my blood, sweat, and tears was in that thing. I, I was a part of that. I was a partner to that. And because I was a partner to that, I wasn't going to let something happen to it. I'm not going to let some kid go down there and throw a rock through the window or write on the walls. You know, I would, I would, go, I would go at that young age. I'd, I'd go to the pastor's house and mow his grass. You know, I'd, I'd, one day we had a, 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 a painting party to paint the pastor's house. Man, I was over there slopping on paint. That's probably just what I was doing. They were probably slopping it on, but they made it look better. But, you know, I, but I was involved is my point. And because I was involved as a partner then it became, uh, there, there became an ownership. that that's, that's my pastor's house. That's my church. Does that make sense to you? Where you get involved. The Bible says, you know, that you, uh, where your money is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. You're going to put your treasure where your heart is. And then once you put your treasure where your heart is, then your heart's going to stay there because your treasure's there. It's a, double, it's a double-sided scripture. Isn't that right? And so whenever we get involved in something, then that's our. I remember one time I was 15 years old and didn't go to this church at all. But I was 15 years old and my mom was, uh, I was in the car with her. She was driving, I don't know where we were going. But she drove down this side street and in front of a church that I'd never seen before, never been down that street before. And as we were driving up in front of this, or passing this church, driving past this church, uh, there was a guy outside planting some bushes there. And uh, my mom said, oh, so that's the pastor of the church. I met him down at a dinner or a luncheon or something. I don't know where she met him. But she told me she met him somewhere at some kind of a meeting. And, uh, and he's out there planting bushes. It was on a Saturday. And uh, I said to my mom, I said, that's the pastor right there? And she said, yeah, that's the pastor right there. And I said, you sure? She said, yeah, well, I met him. Yeah, I know that's him. That's brother so-and-so. And I said, well, stop the car. And she said, what? I said, well, stop the car. And she stopped the car, and I got out of the car. And I said, I'll catch a ride home later. I said, I'll, I'll be fine. Uh, I'll be home. I, I'm, I'm going to stay here. And she, okay, and she drove off. And I walk up to this pastor, and I'm, I'm about 15 years old, and I walk up to this pastor, and he's planting these bushes. And, and I said, excuse me, pastor. And he looked up and said, yeah, what can I do for you, son? And I said, well, my mom and I were just driving by here, and, and she, she told me that you're the pastor of the church. And he said, yeah, that, that's right. And I said, well, well, why are you doing this? And he said, what? And I said, well, why are you doing this? He said, well, I'm just planting some bushes. I said, I know. I said, why, why are you doing it? He said, well, I, it needs to be done. I'm, I'm, I'm just taking care of it. And I said, yeah, but you're the pastor. You sh- it's Saturday. You should be home preparing for Sunday. I said, you've got sheep that go to this church that you ought to be preparing to lead them to green grass and cool water and take them into the Word of God tomorrow, and you're out here planting these bushes. I said, why aren't the church people doing this? He said, oh, son, I don't know. It's okay. It's not a problem, you know. And I said, no, sir. I said, uh, it's not all right. I said, you tell me where you want these bushes, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do it, and I'll do a good job. I'll make you proud. And, of course, he immediately thought I wanted to get paid. So he said, oh, son, I can't pay you. I said, no, no, no. I said, you're not going to pay me. I said, I'd be offended if you tried to pay me for doing something for the church. You know, Mike, they teach people in Bible school nowadays, you just need to get the church to pay you for everything. You know, back in those days, we'd have been so offended if somebody had tried to pay us 
for doing something for the church or cleaning the church or, or painting the church or planting bushes at the church. or I mean, anything. It was just an honor to do something for the, for the house of God, and now everybody wants to get paid. But anyway, I told him, I said, I'd be, I'd be offended if you tried to pay me for doing something for the church. There's no way, there's no way I'd take any money for this. I said, but I'll, I'll, I'll do this. You just show me where you want them, how far apart you want them, what you want done, and I'll, I'll take care of it, and I'll do a good job because I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for God. And he said, well, all right, son. And so he showed me what he wanted done. And I tell you, I did it. And I did a good job because I'm doing this for God. I don't know this guy. I'm doing it for God. I'm planting bushes at the church. And, uh, and, and I did a great job and cleaned it all up and put the shovels and stuff away. And, and you know, for, for years when I drive by that church, I'd say, that, 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 I planted those bushes right there. And every time I'm back in my hometown, I'll drive by that church again. You know, it's, it's been sold to several times. I don't have the clues in it now. But, but I, I planted those bushes. Those are my bushes. I planted those, and I did it for God, and I'm excited about it. Amen? You know, when I was a youth leader, one day I, I, I walked in youth service one Friday night. I headed into the church, and pastor was there. And, and uh, so I saw pastor's car. And I walked right by pastor's car as I was walking into the church. And as I did, I looked down at the tires and I stopped, backed up, looked at the tires again, looked at the tire up there and walked around the car and looked at those two tires. And they were just slick. All four of them were just slick. Now, West Texas, we call those may pops because they may pop just any minute. <laughs> and so uh, uh, I, I walked around the car and looked at all those four tires and I went on into the service. When the service started, I stood up and told my youth. I mean, the place was packed out. And I told the kids, I said, you know, I said, I'm, a, I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed of our parents. I said, our parents are the deacons, the elders around here. And I said, I just walked by pastor's car and pastor's car has four Maypops on it. And I said, I, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed that our parents would not have taken care of that. But I said, since they didn't, we're going to. And I said, we'll, we, the youth group, we'll just take up the, uh, an offering right now. And uh, I said, my, my, I, I can get my granddad owns a gas station. I can get tires at cost, uh, and then I can put them on myself. No, no charge for putting them on, and uh, tires at cost, and I'll, I'll put them on myself. So we took up, and, I, and we bought five. You know, I said, five's a set, not four. Five's a set. And so we bought five tires for the pastor, and, and I put them on. And, you know, it was just a... I instilled in those kids the thing that God instilled in me, that we, we take care of the church, and we take care of the pastor, and we, we do things for the house of God. We do things for the man of God. Why? Because we're partners. Because we're partners. This is our church. This is our church. This is our pastor. Amen. Does that make sense to you? And, you know, and, and by the same token, church turns around. This, this church has turned around partnering with us. You know, we, we, we've built churches all over the world. I never talk much about us building churches because we've just done it all my life. And uh, uh, we got a picture in just the other day of a church that, that uh, we sent money to build, and they sent us the finished picture product way down in Chiapas, Mexico, way down in the... In the, in the jungle where the church is still still persecuted today. I mean strong persecution for the church today. And, and, uh, and yet there's that, uh, there's that church. You know, what I've, what I've always done, Pastor Mike, is I've, I've, uh, 
And I learned this from Wayne Myers 50 years ago, and so I've done it for 50 years. But uh, I'll, uh, I'll have these. I, I never do the whole missionary, the missionary go in and build everything program. I never have like that. And I've never put my, I've built hundreds of churches. I don't even know how many churches I've built over 50 years, but, but I've never put my name on one of them ever, ever. Because I don't want it to be my church, I want it to be their church. And, and, and you know, whenever, whenever it gets, if, it's, if they think it's my church and if a window gets broken, they'll say, hey, Brother Terry, you need to fix your window. No, no, it's not my window, it's your window, you fix it. You know, or your church is dirty, you need to clean it. No, you, it's your church, you need to clean it. But I always tell people, look, if you'll, if you'll put up the, the foundation and the walls, then I'll put on the roof. And so we've done that for 50 years. And uh, I, I, never, I don't tell them the other way around. I don't say, look, I'll put up the foundation and the walls and you put on the roof because they may never put on the roof. They may just meet forever on the foundation and the walls and never put the roof on. But, you know, it's, it, my, my philosophy in missions is always you do something, I do something. 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 You show me that you put up the foundation. You show me you put up the walls. We'll put on the, we'll put on the roof. And so we've done that for all these many, 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 many years. But, but you know, just... just Church planning, church building, uh, I have no concept how much of that we've done in 50 years and, and how many uh, uh, buildings have been completed in all those years. But we're, you know, we're always excited to do it. And you guys are partners with that. You help us do that. And, uh, you know, whenever we went to, to Mexico, whenever we went to, uh, excuse me, <laughs> we went to Cuba and uh, instituted Christmas again. I've told you that story before. Cuba hadn't had Christmas in 45 years. And in 2004, uh, I, whenever President Castro first took over uh, Cuba in 1959, January the 1st, he said, he said uh, there is no more Christmas. Christmas is not a holy day. It's not a holiday. There'll never be a Christmas here again. There's no trees, no lights, no songs. You just work in the sugarcane fields like you do any other day. You don't get the day off. Christmas doesn't exist. You don't say Merry Christmas anymore. And so for 45 years, Christmas didn't exist. And then I went over there in 2004 and, and offered uh, one, of the, one of the gentlemen in the government that run, run the country, I said, let me bring a Christmas tree for you this year. And he said, no. And I said, yes. And he said, no. And I said, yes. And he said, no. And so I left, and, and it wasn't a done deal. But then in December of that year, he sent me an email and said, if your offer of the Christmas tree still stands, we'd love to have it and love for you to bring it personally and tell us the Christmas story. And I thought, this is an atheist nation, a communist nation, an atheist nation. They want me to tell them the Christmas story? And so, uh, so we did. We got a, we got a Christmas tree in Canada because we couldn't do it from the states because of the embargo. But we got one from Canada and flew it to to Cuba, to Havana. And the military met it and put two motorcycle cops in front of it, two motorcycle cops behind it, and they escorted it down to the to the waterfront, set it up, and I flew in there and we decorated it and they televised it and put it all over the nation. And uh, we had Christmas carols and Christmas songs and and and, and just just a, a, it changed history. The next year in 2005, I did the same thing. Never had to do it again. People see me today and they say, Brother, you still take Christmas trees to Cuba? And I said, no. I did it in 04 and did it in 05. Never had to do it again because now if you go to Cuba at Christmas time, you'll see trees and lights and Christmas carols and, and, and the whole nine yards because we, we literally changed history. We literally changed history. And so you guys partner in things like that. You know, in, in, in Haiti, I, I flew into Haiti and, and t- told these, these uh, Haitian pastors, I said, President Aristide is, is having two, 200 witch doctors come in here, as you all know, in January the 1st of 2004 and going to uh, uh, dedicate the nation to the devil again like they do at the fourth year of the century every year, 1804, 1904, going to do it again in 2004. And I said, I decree as a man of God in the name of Jesus that ceremony will not take place. 
And I decree as a man of God in the name of Jesus that Aristide will be out of office and out of this nation. And if that doesn't happen, you don't ever have to believe me again. I'm not a man of God. I'm a false prophet. And those Haitian pastors didn't believe me. I mean, it was in the middle of summer of 03. And so they just rolled their eyes back in their head and thought I was crazy. But, you know, come January 1st of 04, the ceremony didn't take place. And I started getting emails from Haitian pastors saying, Brother Terry, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And then in February... Uh, and you can Google this, it is on all the news media everywhere. Uh, President Aristide left his office, fled his office, and fled the nation, and nobody knew why. He just left, went to Africa, stayed for all those years, never came back until last year. He came back and stayed for 10 days, turned around, went back to Africa, and hadn't been back since. Amen? But the church can change history, and the church can make history, but it, take, it takes partnership. And so we all we did all that stuff together, you know. These these meetings we're going to do in the, this in this Muslim land next year is going to be it's going to be all of us doing it together. We're ta- we're taking the gospel. We're we're preaching the gospel. We're opening up kingdoms and nations for for God. Amen. Are y'all here? So no matter what the circumstances, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, no matter what somebody else said. We can always be the people of God that partner together and get something done. A threefold cord is hardly broken. Amen. I was with an old gentleman the other day and preacher. I was telling Pastor Mike at lunch about this yesterday. And uh, he, he's pastored the same church for 54 years. And he said, you know, he said, uh, you're not a failure when you fail. He said, everybody fails. You're not a failure when you fail. You only fail when you quit. No, oh boy, isn't that, isn't that the truth? And then he said, no matter what the circumstances, God always has one more miracle, and it's for you. Say, no matter what the circumstances, God still has one more miracle, and it's for me. Amen. You know, Ezekiel says that God, God says, I looked, I looked all over for a man to stand on the wall. He said, and I found none. I found none. See, all through history, it's been the same way. It's, it's been God's looking for a man. God's looking for a woman. And then when he can finally find one, he can't, he can't find one. When he finally does, then if he can get two or three of them to partner together to hook up with God, you and God can do anything. Amen. The same power that God started you with is the same power he wants you to finish with. It's not going to diminish. It's not going to go down. He said, fear not, I'm with thee. Be not dismayed, I'm your God. I'll strengthen you, I'll help you, and I'll uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. I still believe that. But it's going to take partnership. It's going to take you hooking up with the church, you hooking up with the pastor and saying, we, I'm going to grab hold of your coattail, pastor, and we're going to do this thing together. And you do not have to bear all this people alone. See, God needs you. God needed a man. He said, I looked for a man. He couldn't find one. But he needed a Daniel. He needed a David. He needed a Joshua. He needed a Peter. He needed a Paul. And he needs you. You know, every time I preach, and I'll, I'll bring this to a close, but every, every, time I, every time I preach, I'm always looking across the crowd, and I'm always looking for another me. Because I think, you know, I used to sit out there as a kid 
and as a teenager. And I'd sit there and I'd listen to the preacher preach and the missionaries that came through and talked and, and, and preached. And I'd sit out there and say, you know, I want those testimonies. I want to do something for God. I want those testimonies. And you know, now I've got them. And I'm always looking for another me out there that says, ah, somebody out there has got eye of the tiger, has got blood in their eye and fire in their bones. It says, says, I'm going to make this happen. You know, if nobody else partners with pastor, I'm going to partner with pastor and we're going to see this church a success. Amen. You know, just any, any one group in the church can, can cause a fire. Might be the youth. Maybe the youth will turn on and get excited and bring everybody else in. I've, I've seen that happen in churches. Maybe it's the women. They get turned on and stirred up and cause the church to get on fire. Maybe it's the men. Whatever, whatever group, some, somebody usually gets turned on. Somebody usually starts a fire. And it can be any one of you. You know, I've said to you before, revival, revival takes place when the Holy Ghost interrupts the church. Well, it's just a, it just takes a group to say, Holy Ghost, interrupt us. Interrupt us. Interrupt the church. Interrupt the youth service. Interrupt the ladies' meeting. Interrupt, interrupt whatever we've got going. Just interrupt it, and we'll follow you. <laughs> Y'all still here? Well, stand up with me. Did you get anything out of all this? Tonight's healing school, and uh, I'm praying about it, been praying about it, and thinking about it, and I've got a word for you tonight, and I'm expecting healing, and I'm expecting miracles, and uh, I don't want to sound negative at all, but, but, but those healings and miracles are only going to take place if you bring sick people. I'm not fussing at you. I'm just saying that's the way it works. It, you know, the, the, the definition for, for having a miracle is needing one. So we got to have people that need one. And if you don't bring sick people, then I'm not going to fuss at you. Pastor's not going to fuss at you. We're just going to still preach you a good word and have a good service. It's just we're not going to have the miracles that we would like to have. But if you'll bring them, God will have a chance to do something about it. Have a chance to heal them. I, I said something like that years and years ago. I was preaching in Visalia up the, up the road here. And... Uh, and I, and I said, now I know we say this so much, it sounds like a cliche and this goes right over your head and we don't even hear it. I said, but if you'll bring people tonight, I said, then God will have an opportunity to do miracles. And I said, now if you don't bring them, I'm not going to fuss at you. I'm just going to still preach you a good word. But, but it's just that if you'll bring some folks that need miracles, God will have a chance to do something. And the guy back at the sound booth heard me say that and he just thought, you know, I've seen a blind guy downtown uh, in the last number, couple of months. And he's got his white cane and got his sunglasses and he's, he's selling pencils or begging for money. And uh, so he said, I'm going to see if I can find him. And so as soon as church was over, he, he went down and looked for him, couldn't find him. So he went on home, had dinner, had lunch and went on home. And uh, a little bit later in the afternoon, he went out to see if he could find him again. Second time, couldn't find him. And then on the way to church, he went a third time. On his way to church, he went and said, I'll see if I can find this guy. And sure enough, the guy was out there on his corner with his, you know. And he got him and put him in the car and brought him to church. And so I'm preaching that night, and the guy's sitting over here, and I see him sitting on the second row right over here, and he's got his sunglasses on, his white cane sitting there, you know. And, and so I preach my, the word, and, and then I call folks up for prayer, to, uh, for healing, for miracles, and, and they brought him up. And I walked over to him, laid hands on him, and God popped both of his eyes open, just complete miracle of God, absolute miracle, two blind eyes open. And uh, yet if it, weren't, it, it, if it weren't for the guy in the sound booth, that wouldn't have happened. 
I'm not the hero of that story. I just got to pray for him, you know. But the guy in the sound booth said he wrote the story because had he not gone and got the guy, I went and looked for him three times and then found him and brought him to church. And he's the hero of that story. He's the one that made He partnered with God and partnered with me and partnered with the church and got that guy in there and got him healed, a great miracle, and got him saved. Amen. So anyway, I'm looking forward to that tonight. And if you'll bring some folks, God will have a chance to heal them. And uh, if you don't, I won't fuss at you, but we'll still have a good word and a good message. But I do, have a, I do have a strong healing message for you tonight. Is that all right? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for speaking to us by your spirit. Thank you for the truth about partnership, that we partner with you, that we hook up with you. We lift our hands to you. We, we, we clap our hands to you. We worship you with our praise, with our worship. Uh, we pray to you. We talk to you. We give offerings to you. We give tithe to you. And then, Father, we, we expect to receive from you. And then you speak into our spirit and speak into our heart and minister to us and lift us and love us. And we, we hear from you. And we, we partner together with you that if one can put a 1,000 a flight, two can put 10,000 a flight. And I thank you for it, Father, that this church is a great, great lighthouse that you've called it to be. To get the gospel to the world. This is a house of miracles, a house of praise, a house of the word, a house of worship, a house where the people can come and bring their families and be blessed. And Father, that there's men and women in this church that grab Mike and Beth by the, by the coattail and say, you pastor this place and we'll back you and they'll partner with them and believe God with them and stand with them and run the wolves off and embrace the sheep and even embrace a few goats and Father, cause the church to be strong and healthy to the glory of God. And we thank you for it and give you the glory and honor, praise, majesty, and dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, 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 amen. Praise the Lord. Well, Pastor, come on and rescue these folks. Amen. Y'all are going to partner with me and come back tonight, right? Thank you, Terry. Thank you. Jesus is building the church, amen? We're part of a supernatural organization. We need to recognize that. Amen. Wasn't that a good word this morning? Amen. Don't forget the materials back on the book table that uh, Terry and Renee had sent ahead. Uh, They'll all be a blessing to you. Come on back tonight at 6 for Healing School. Have a great afternoon, and you're dismissed.